Well, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Yeah? Good, good. Well, if it's your first time, my name is Aaron, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're a guest, uh, we want to especially thank you uh, for being here this morning and welcome you. And uh, if you are just joining us, uh, you picked a heck of a week to come. Um, we've been in a series uh, called Judges the Original Heroes, and in it we've been looking at God's people and a specific time in history of God's people, uh, a time in which God's people were suffering under a lot of unjust oppression, and in which God used very ordinary people to accomplish some pretty extraordinary things. And uh, in it, we've looked at some, um, some, some characters. Uh, we looked at a guy named Ehud, who overcame a, a physical handicap to overthrow a, a very powerful, very evil, very oppressive king. Uh, we looked at a guy named Jephthah, who's the son of a prostitute, who rose from the fray uh, to lead a nation, but whose very foolish vow, very weak theology, cost him the life of his daughter. We looked at a guy named Gideon, a very fearful uh, farmer, who God looked down upon and didn't just see a guy who was very, very afraid, but saw a mighty warrior, and in time he became just that. And we looked at a gal named Deborah, who uh, is perhaps our best example of a godly leader who rose head and shoulders above her male contemporaries and uh, delivered a people. And then last week, finally, we looked at uh, the most famous of the judges, and we looked at a guy named Samson. And uh, Samson was uh, definitely a character. He was bold. Uh, he was very arrogant. He was very cocky. Um, God had given him some great strength, uh, a lot of natural giftedness. And perhaps more than any other person in the Bible, Samson had... Uh, just potential out the wazoo. And God had given him this calling to deliver the people, but it was never, it was never realized. He never stepped into it. The people were never delivered. Um, along the way, he got very distracted, uh, fell flat on his face, and he never lived out God's calling on his life. And this morning is our final week in the series, our series on Judges. And this morning what I want to do is I want to hone in on uh, a particular part of Samson's life and a particular area uh, that, in the end, cost him everything. And Samson made a lot of mistakes. We talked about that last week. He made a lot of mistakes on a lot of different fronts. But there was one particular arena of his life um, that he could never get under control. And we find him struggling with it from the very beginning of the story to the very end. And uh, it's, this morning I want to talk about uh, the very popular uh, subject uh, of sexual immorality, sexual sin. Subject that's very fun to talk about in a public space, around your friends, and complete strangers, even better. Um, but we want to talk about it, because it's a huge issue in Samson's life, and it's a huge issue in a lot of our lives. And uh, when we meet Samson, uh, the very beginning of his story, he's, he's wandering the streets of Timnah, checking out the ladies. He's several miles from home, he's in a Philistine town, which he shouldn't have been in, at least not for that reason. And we get this picture of him just walking the streets, Checking out the ladies. You know, some of them were attractive, to be sure. Some of them were not quite attractive to warrant more, of a passing, more than a passing glance. Uh, but then he comes across a particular lady uh, that was so attractive in his eyes that he knew he just had to have her. And he was willing to compromise his faith, his calling, everything to have her. So you might be thinking, uh, you know, hey, Aaron, why are, we, why are we having this conversation? Why are we talking about this? Uh, sex is a personal issue, it's a private issue, it's a very uncomfortable issue. Uh, this is church. Why are we going there? Uh, the short answer of it is that this area, this particular issue, is so, is so prominent 
um, that we can afford not to. And I want to share with you some stats that are pretty troubling and um, pretty staggering. Consider this. The average person has their first sexual experience at the age of 16. Uh, for those girls who are teenagers and sexually active, uh, they have much higher rates of alcohol abuse, drug abuse, eating disorders, depression, and suicide. For them, it comes at a very high cost. Pregnancies are common. One-third of those children will be aborted. Uh, of those born, one-third are born out of wedlock. Pornography is a $60 billion a year business. $60 billion. $12 billion of that is spent by us, by Americans. That is more... Uh, than we spend on pro baseball, basketball, and football combined every year. More money is spent by Americans every year on porn than the revenues of ABC, NBC, and CBS combined. In the last 10 years, Americans have spent more money each year, at least $10 billion on pornography. Uh, that's more money than we've spent on foreign aid. If all of us would stop looking at porn and stop buying it, we could double our foreign aid today. How about this? Over 200 porn films are made in the U.S. every week. 200 a week. That's more than one an hour. Porn sites are 12% of all Internet sites. And porn is 25% of all search engine requests. Over 40% of Internet users view porn. 20% of men admit to it. That's just admit to it using it at work. 13% of women also admit to accessing porn at work. Every second, every second... Over $3,000 is spent on porn in the U.S. alone. 28,000 Internet users are viewing porn every second in America. And 372 Internet users every second in America are typing in words looking for more porn. 90%, this is, this is sad, 90% of children between the ages of 8 and 16 have viewed porn online. The average child sees porn for the first time at age 11 online, usually inadvertently. The number one consumer of pornography is boys ages 12 to 17. So if you have a teenager, he's a boy, and you haven't had that conversation with him, statistically, chances are you're too late. Uh, not too long ago, uh, USA Today ran a feature story on the fact that most junior high boys expect to have a nude photo of their girlfriend on their phone. While only 10% of men admit to addiction to pornography, more than 70% of them, ages 8 to t 18 to 34, visit a porn site every month, leading to all kinds of addiction, abuse, and um, at times severe consequences. So why are we talking about this? A couple of reasons. One is statistically the reality is that for many of us in this room, uh, many tuning into the podcast, uh, this is an issue that we're dealing with in our lives right now. Uh, if, they're not, if you're not yet, just give it time. Right? It's probably an issue that most of us are dealing with, if not us, our spouse, our kids, our friends. Uh, it's, it's everywhere. Uh, and secondly, the second reason we I want to talk about this is, is there's something that I know about you and I. Um, I know uh, that all of us have made moral decisions at some time uh, that we have regretted. Or right, times that we can look back, things that we've done, uh, that we wish we could go back and do differently, things that we would say are mistakes. And maybe for you, just like Samson, maybe that was a lust issue, maybe that was a sexual sin issue, maybe that was a relationship you should have been in, maybe that was uh, something you were doing that you knew you shouldn't be doing, 
somewhere you went that you knew you shouldn't have gone. Uh, but maybe not. Maybe for you, it could be an extreme thing. It could be a not-so-extreme thing. It could be something that happened back in high school. Uh, it could be something that happened last night. But all of us, if we were really honest, would say that there are decisions that we've made morally um, that were mistakes. Right? I, I, most of us would be able to say, all of us, I think, would be able to say that, you know what, I crossed the line morally. I did something I regret. Uh, I, I went somewhere. I did something. Uh, I've gone too far. I got too involved. And those are some of my biggest regrets. And part of this is understandable. Right? Because I think for most of us, uh, we, we want to know where the line is, right? I used to work with teenagers, and it was like this conversation of every small group, especially with guys. Right? So they want to know where the line is. And as adults, it's, I, I don't think it's really all that different. We want to know the, where the line is so we can get as close to it as possible. Right? And we do this in all different areas of our lives. Right? So if you're driving down the road and the speed limit is 35, you're not going 25 just out of good measure, you know, just to be safe, just to keep it slow. Right? You're going, if you're going 35, you're doing well. Right? Usually it's 36, 40, 45 in your hurry. You know? But we live on the line. Right? We do the same thing. If I've got a meeting at 8 a.m., you know, I'm not showing up at 7.50 you know, just to get there early. I'm pulling in at 8 o'clock right, right on the button uh, for my meeting. Same thing if I've got to be home for dinner at 5 p.m. and I've got a busy day. Right? I'm not coming home at 4.30. Right? I'm coming home at 5.00. Or if you're on a diet, you're counting calories, right? You're not coming in 100 calories short, you know, just because you can, right? You're, you're going right to the limits. Like, you know what? I've still got calories. Cut that French fry in half. Give it to me. Uh, you're going right there, right? We do all the time. If you're a teenager and you've got a curfew, right? You're, you're, you're not coming home a half hour before curfew, you know, just because I can. You know, might as well play it safe. No, 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 no. You're, coming, you're turning down the street with one minute to spare. You're going 65 down the cul-de-sac. Right, screeching in the driveway, made it, you know. It's just the way that we do it, right? We, we push the line and we just live as close to the line as possible. But here's the deal, and you know this, right? When it comes to most areas of our life, the consequences aren't that big, right? If I've got to be home at 5 for, for dinner uh, and I'm five minutes late, not a big deal. If I've got a meeting at 8 o'clock uh, and I'm five, ten minutes late, right, really not a big deal, not huge consequences, right? If I'm on a diet and counting calories and I splurge a little bit and do one more cheat meal that week, it's not a big deal. But in this particular area, when it comes to, when it comes to sexual sin, right, when it comes to, to moral issues, you cross the line morally and you can pay for that for the rest of your life. There's something unique, something uniquely consequential about crossing the line in that particular arena. Right, you cross the line morally, and it can mean at times... Right, the kids grow up without a dad in the home. Right, it can mean kids wondering which house they're going to be at this weekend, mom or dad. Right, it, can, it can mean guys losing their focus because they're filling their mind full of crap that they don't need to be doing that with. Right, and now they can't be at work the way they need to be at work. They're not at home the way they need to be at home right, because they just need to get that fixed. It can cause all types of unbelievable secrets and baggage that affects relationships, and there's always this disconnect at times when it comes to this particular area, if you, if you cross the line in this particular area. Right? It can mean sometimes for some people for their entire life that they never really experience intimacy in all its fullness as God created it because they crossed the line, because one weekend, one spring break, one season of life, they crossed over the line. And those consequences sometimes follow us for a long, long 
long time. And so this morning, that's what I, I want to talk about because it's so important. The stakes are so high. All right, what, what, what does God give us as far as wisdom in this area, guidance in this area? What does he call us to? How do we avoid living with those consequences and paying the price sometimes for the rest of our lives? So if you've got a Bible, uh, turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians. And if you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles. Uh, just shoot your hand up. We'd love to get you one. Um, and we'll dig in. So we're going to 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians was written by a guy named Paul. He was an apostle. He's a leader in the church. And he wrote a lot of these letters. And uh, he was writing to the believers in a city called Corinth. And uh, he wrote a couple of these letters. And that's why it's, there's 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. In this particular period of time, in this particular community, he's writing to a very sexually promiscuous culture, right? Just, just saturated uh, with sex. And what we find is that it's, it's worked its way into the lives of uh, a number of believers who are no longer taking their cues from what God calls them to, but they're taking their cues from what they see modeled by their friends, their, their family, their coworkers. Uh, and they're struggling, they're dealing with the baggage there. And, and, and in... in uh, in Corinth, for example, there was a, a temple uh, to Epaphrodite. And it was uh, this, basically, they had mixed this worshiping of God and sex and celebrating, like just giving in to your most like primal desire that that's what worship is. And so you would go into this temple, and there were a thousand prostitutes in this temple, and you would go to church. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the culture that, that they're in. And so when you're reading Corinthians, it kind of makes sense why he's always like, no, you can't sleep with your mom. Right? No, you can't sleep with somebody in addition to your wife. Right? No, you can't sleep with somebody other than your husband. No, it's not better if you're experimenting together with other people. It's just the two of you. you know, he's, he's constantly having to, to correct like, this misunderstanding of sex because it was hard. Truth is, like, if they were looking at the lives of their family, their friends, uh, the broader culture, it was very, very different from what uh, God had called them to. And so it's going to take uh, hard work and intentionality and even extreme measures to protect themselves from just falling back into that because it was so different from what they saw modeled to them. And so here in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 18, uh, Paul is essentially going to just put it as succinctly as possible. Right? And this is a passage I want to look at. It's just short, it's focused, and he's like he's going to say, okay, this, this is it. If I could boil it down to this one thing, uh, just take me a moment. I'm going to say this as succinctly as possible. This is what God has to say uh, about sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Any questions? Right? Pretty straightforward. Flee from sexual immorality. Right? That's a New Testament way of essentially saying, get the heck out of Dodge. Right? Don't go there. Avoid it altogether. Don't dabble in that. Right? When you see it coming, when you see her coming, when you see how things are going down, when you realize that you're in harm's way, don't stop and be like, wow, this could be trouble if I'm not careful. Right? He's saying, get out of there. Don't put yourself in that situation. Don't give it a second thought. Don't stick around. Get out in as intense as terms as possible. He's saying, run. Run from sexual immorality. Don't flirt with it. Don't gaze on it. Don't get as close as you can. Don't ask where the line is and then get as close to that as possible. So because of what's at stake, flee from sexual immorality. And he continues. He says this, and this is so profound. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Right? And so in other words, what he's saying is like, when it comes to this particular arena, when it comes to sexual sin, that it is in a category all its own. 
All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. In other words, there is something unique when it comes to sexual sin. And we can pretend that it's the same, and we can pretend like it's like slandering someone, or it's like telling a little lie, or it's like cheating on your taxes. But we all know, right, when you look at the experience of your life, right, when you think about the people that you know, and some of the heartache that you've seen walk people people walk through, and the effect that it had on their relationships with their spouse and their friends and those who were close to them. You know as well as I do that there is something unique about this particular arena and the consequences that potentially follow a person for the rest of their life, right? Because in other areas, you can, you can mess up, and, and the truth is, like, God forgives you, and in this particular arena, God forgives you, right? In other areas, you can, you can pay your dues and, and put in your time, and, and even over time, Right? You can put it behind you and even laugh about it, right? You can even laugh about how silly you were, how dumb you were, how naive you were, and move on. But in this particular arena, sometimes the consequences just continue for a long, long time. Sexual sin is different, right? It's, there's just something about the, the memories and the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions, the relationships, the struggle with intimacy that follows a person for a long time. You know, I, I have a lot of conversations with people that are going through different issues and, and areas that they're struggling in, and it's just part of being a pastor, and, and I enjoy that. Um, but when I'm having a conversation with somebody, and I've seen it far too many times, when I'm having a conversation with somebody, and they say, you know what, I have crossed the line, uh, or I crossed the line a long time ago, and I'm really struggling, really struggling with forgiving myself and moving on, 100% of the time it's this. 100% of the time it's this issue. 100% of the time, it has to do with sexual sin. You see it all the time, right? You see it in this arena, just like when I did, uh, used to do youth ministry. Right? You see two lovebirds come in, and they're dating, and they're just, you know, so romantic and looking each other deep in the eyes and, and so into it. And you can just tell, like, uh-oh. No, this is, <laughs> unless there's, she, he's putting a ring on it sometime soon. Like, this is trouble. Uh, and then they disappear for a while, and you wonder where they went. And then slowly, usually she comes back, right? He's nowhere to be found, but she comes back, and you can just see it all over her face. The pain, the hurt, the regret. Happens over and over and over. Because when it comes to this, it's not just physical, right? When it comes to sexuality, it's not just physical. Somehow, it has to do with our soul. It attaches itself to our, our heart. And it's not that God doesn't forgive you. And it's not that God doesn't continue working, but the consequences are so much greater. And so God says, look, you need to run. You, need, you don't want to go there. You don't want to pay that price. You need to flee from sexual immorality. So, sounds trite, I know. Short, simple, sweet. But what does that look like, really? You know, Sounds good. What does it mean, actually, to flee? How do, how do I protect myself, my family, from the consequences of overstepping the line? It's, um, it's pretty simple, really. It's not easy, but it's pretty simple. And here's, here's just a suggestion. Here's what I want to submit to you this morning. That you flee, you avoid that by setting standards for yourself right, that are so high, that are so far away, back away from the edge, that even if you fail, even if you violate your own standard, right, even if in a moment of weakness you fail, there are no consequences because it's so far back from the line, right? You, you set a standard for your life that says, you know what, I'm not going to look at that, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to date that kind of person, or I'm going to avoid that situation, I'm only going to look at that at this time, or I'm not going to go to that place with them. 
so that even if you did, even if in a moment something weird happens, even a moment where you're weak and you fail, uh, there are no consequences. Because right? most of us, it's not the, the way we live, right? We get as close to the line as possible. And here's the problem. The problem is that we find ourselves into those situations the same way every single time. And it's not that we make really bad, wrong decisions all the way. It's that we make a number of unwise decisions that set ourselves up. Right? If you think back, just think back in a moment to what that is for you. Whatever, I'm not even going to define morally for a second. Like, don't, don't even go there. Whatever that, everybody has a line. Whatever that line is for you, think back to a moment when you cross that line. And what you'll find is every single time is there is a number of decisions that set you up to put you in that circumstance to have to make that hard decision. A number of unwise decisions that weren't wrong in and of themselves that introduced that decision, that mistake, to you. All right, I'll give you an example of what I mean by this. All right, Tina and Frank work together. Frank's married. Tina's single. Tina's attractive. Frank notices. But Frank's married. He has kids. He's made a vow. He's committed to keeping that vow. Right, but over time, they keep working together, and one day, uh, it's lunchtime, and, he, and Frank thinks, you know what, I can ask Tina out for lunch. Nothing wrong with going out to lunch. Right, we can talk about work stuff. She's very good at what she does. We can keep it professional. Everybody goes out to lunch. There's nothing wrong with going out to lunch. Uh, you know, we could go out to lunch. If somebody walks in, you know, I just say, hey, this is Tina. We're having lunch. There's nothing wrong with that. People go to lunch all the time. Right? And so they do. Go to lunch, no real harm in that. All right, a few weeks go by, working late, chemistry going on in the office, they're tired, time for a break, time for dinner. Frank thinks, hey, I could ask Tina out for dinner. Already went out to lunch, nothing happened at lunch. Nothing wrong with lunch, people go to dinner all the time. I mean, what would happen to the economy if people start, stopped having dinner? You know, people have to have dinner. Preacher has dinner. Never heard a sermon about something wrong with having dinner, right, where we can talk about work. Nothing wrong with that. Right? And Tina thinks, ah, you know, Frank's married, but hey, you know, he's a good guy, he's married, he's committed to his family. Nothing wrong with having dinner. Right? So they go to dinner. Right? And Frank starts to share with Tina about his family life and issues at home, and she learns that, you know, things at home aren't exactly good. Starts to confide in her a little bit, and she thinks, you know, I'm helping this guy, right? Counselors get paid to do this. Right, there's an, in fact, I'm pretty sure in the Bible it talks about bearing each other's burdens. I'm helping Frank out. I'm being a good friend. Everybody needs a listening ear. I'm being a listening ear. Right? I, I, I care about him. I'd be willing to even step in and help him with his marriage. Right? She doesn't sound very pleasant from what he's shared with me, uh, but I'd be willing to do that. Right? Nothing wrong with that. Right? It's a spiritual thing we're doing here. Right? Pastors do this. He needs help. Right? I'm counseling. I'm there for him. I'll probably get extra credit in heaven for something like this. Right? <laughs> Right? And you know where this is going, right? Sooner or later, dot, dot, dot. Like, you, you don't even have to hear the rest of the story. Like, right? the, but the, all, here's the thing. All along the way, if you would have said, hey, 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 what are you guys doing? What are you doing? All right? They would say, there's nothing wrong with that. Right? We haven't overstepped any moral boundaries. Right? We're not sinning. Right? We haven't done anything that's overtly wrong. Nothing wrong with that. Right? They haven't made any wrong decisions, but are they making smart decisions? Right? And then... Uh, you know, eventually, one night, he drops her off. She invites him in. He thinks, hey, people go in all the time, right? People always go into people's homes. You know, I've gone into people's homes. Pastors gone into people's homes. I've never heard a sermon on it being wrong going to somebody's home. 
Right? What's wrong with one little hug? I mean, people hug. I see people at church hug. Nothing wrong with one little hug. And, and you know where it goes. It goes on and on and on and on and on. Every wrong decision, every time we stepped over those bounds, every single wrong moral decision that we've made in our life, right, we're preceded by a number of unwise decisions that set ourselves up. And consequently, or consequently, uh, you found yourself in the wrong place, at the wrong time, perhaps with the wrong person. This particular truth was hammered home for me uh, pretty early in my ministry uh, when I was, went into vocational ministry for the first time. And um, I was uh, traveling. Uh, I can't remember exactly if it was a conference or, or a retreat or something like that. But, but I was staying at a hotel. I was staying there by myself. And... Um, you know, hotels, staying in hotels by yourself is just like a lose-lose situation. Like, it's just not good. Um, all types of crap on the TV and all that stuff. So I, I you know, left my room and just decided I was going to not hang out in the room. And, and there was a, a restaurant, you know, kind of bar restaurant uh, built into this place. And I went downstairs and, and started hanging out at the bar and talking to the bartender. And we were talking. And, and it was cool. He was telling me a lot about his life story and a really cool guy. And eventually, uh, this young gal, a lot of people came in, but this young gal, uh, came in and kind of sat a couple seats down um, on, from the bar or on the bar for me. And, and we kind of all were talking to one another and, and, you know, she would chime in and we kind of ended up talking and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, I didn't think anything of it. Like, guys can be dense, you know. Uh, but all of a sudden, like, I caught the flirty eyes, you know what I mean? Like that look where, like, they just kind of, like, cut to your heart, you know. You're, like, you realize there's something more going on here. And, and I was like, okay, did I just imagine that? And before I knew it, you know, we're, we're all talking and stuff, but she's kind of like scooting closer and um, made a couple comments that were just very flirtatious and inappropriate. And, and it felt good. You know, it's flattering when somebody kind of pursues you, whether you're married or not. And all of a sudden it hit me like this wave of panic. It just hit me. Like, it took me a long time, but eventually I realized what was going on. Um, I'm dense. It takes a little bit. But I realized, and it was like this wave of panic, like, oh, my goodness. This is how easy it is. This is how it happens. Right? It's, it's literally right there for the taking. I don't want this. I didn't ask for this. I'm happily married. I love my wife. All right, we're going to have kids someday. And here it is, right there for, for the, the taking. And it, and it dawned on me, like, you don't, you don't have to go looking for it. Right? It comes looking for you. And that night, it, it just dawned on me, like, this is, this is what Paul is talking about. Right? Flee from sexual immorality, because it's right there on your doorstep. You don't have to go looking for it. It's there. It's there for the taking. All right, so here. <clears throat> Here's the thing. All right, if you're close to the edge, if you're living close to the edge, if you're asking what's wrong, what's right, and living to it as close as you, as you can. The truth is, you're playing with fire. And sooner or later, uh, you're going to get burned. Right? Because each of us is just one step away, one bad decision away from humi- humiliation and consequences. Right? You want to protect yourself, you want to protect your family from the consequences of this particular arena taking its toll. Right? Then you set standards for yourself that are so far away from that edge that even if you were to violate that standard, there are no consequences. For me, this is just one of the ways that that works out for me is I made a decision very early on uh, that I wouldn't do one-on-one counseling with gals. Um, and, and I love 
gals, you know, like I love the gals that are part of this community. Um, but for me, like I, I saw very early on, I saw friends, I saw family members, I saw mentors that made very bad decisions. And along the way, I lost, some of them lost their families. Some of them lost their ministries. All of them paid consequences. So I just made, a, I made this decision, you know, that that's just something that I wasn't going to do. I wasn't going to, you know, ride in a car alone with, with gals. I wasn't going to do dinner one-on-one with gals. I just wasn't going to go there. And uh, it's terribly inconvenient. I'll tell you, like this week, you know, I had a gal email me who wants to get together. And, and we're going to get together, but it's like I just had to tell her, hey, you know, there needs to be a third party there. And I know it's awkward and, and that kind of thing, but it's going to take more time to schedule probably. But that's just one of those things that, that we've done. And most, people, most of the time, people are great about it. Sometimes they're like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, like, can we, get, can we get dinner? No. Can we get lunch? No. Can we get coffee? No. Never, never. Sorry. Like, what's, <laughs> what's wrong with you? You know, like, nothing's wrong with me. It's just a decision that I made, you know, like better safe than sorry. It's just one of those things. Is that, is it extreme? Yes, it is. Uh, but I think it's worth it. Right? It's just a standard that I've set to protect myself, to protect this church and protect my family. So if you're a teenager, right? If you're a teenager, you need to set standards, right? You need to decide how far is too far. If you don't set standards, someone's going to decide them for you, right? You need to write them down. Right, you need to share them with somebody else. Because right, if you don't, somebody else will, will determine that for you. And the thing is, like, you'll never regret setting high standards. If you're single, right, it doesn't matter if you're a teenager. It doesn't matter if you're 26, 46, 56. It doesn't matter if you've never gotten married, if you're divorced, and now you're single, and now you're dating again. You've got to set standards. You've got to decide what kind of person am I going to be with? How far am I going to go? Right, write them down. Share them with somebody. Stick to them. Right, if, you are, uh, if you're married, right, helpful question is to ask, how extreme do I want my spouse's standards to be? You know, most guys will be like, well, far. You know? How high is that standard? And then what, I think whatever that, uh, whatever that answer is, like, that's, that's your standard, right? Um, now, I would say uh, if you're single, this, is, this one kind of maybe hurts a little bit, but if, you've, if you're single, uh, even if you're dating in the moment, like if you have a history of being sexually involved with people you date, right, and you've got a history of that, I think you need to set higher standards than someone who's 13, 14, 15 and hasn't been there yet. Right, if you've got a past of that, I think you've got to be that much more careful. I've heard um, a guy named, a uh, pastor named Andy Stanley, really admire him and, and have gotten a lot of this from, from him. Um, but one of the things that he recommends is if, you're, if you've got that history like, and you've never really honored God in that particular arena in a relationship and you're single, that you need to get out your calendar, mark out a day one year from today, and say, I'm not going to date for one year. Right? And I'm going to relearn what it means to honor God. And, uh, you know, most people laugh and think that's ridiculous and that's really high. But, you know, every now and then people take them up on that and, and it's amazing what God will do in your life and change your heart and set you up for future success rather than setting yourself up for more future failure. Right? Practically, I think for guys... Like, this is obviously a, an issue that's really big for guys, uh, especially the, the area of pornography. Uh, man, I, I don't know that there's any good reason not to have software on your phone or your laptop. I, I, I mean, our culture is a lot like Corinth, except for what they did in public. Now we can do in private whenever we want. And uh, I think smartphones are the source of a whole lot of dumb decisions. Right, and so I think you just got to be really, really careful with that. Right, there's just something about having the World Wide Web 
and all of its stuff at your fingertips at all times. All right, so I know like guys aren't going to pick up their notepad right now, so this will be on the podcast later, but there's some really good software out there. All right, so X3 Watch, triplexchurch.com, great ministry, specifically as it relates to porn addiction. It's for guys, for gals. Great recovery programs, but they also have software. It's like six bucks for your phone. Uh, you set it up, and it'll send it um, to a person of your choice, like every, everything you're looking at and browsing. Um, there's a great computer software out there called Safe Eyes, uh, which is dynamite, um, and it won't even let you access that stuff that, that you don't want to be on, and, and it'll also send a report to somebody of your choosing. That kind of stuff is practical. It might sound stupid. It might sound way over the edge, right? But in a sense, it is, and I think that's, that's what it takes. Like you want to protect yourself. You want to protect your family. Right? It doesn't happen at the, on the edge. It doesn't happen living as close to the edge as possible. Right? It happens when you set standards for your conduct, right? for your life, for yourself, for your family, that even if you were to violate those standards that you set for yourself, there would be no consequences. Not because it's wrong, right? Not because every decision up to that point is wrong and sinful and that everything else is wrong, but because it's smart, because it's God-honoring. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Let's pray. Father God, I know that this is a very uncomfortable issue. It's not particularly inspiring. Uh, for some of us, it probably feels like kicked to the groin. Uh, but God, it's so important. And just thinking through the faces of the stories and lives that I've seen that have had to deal with the fallout because of some of these issues, guys, I know for myself just how devastating this particular arena of life and sin can be. And so, God, you know, I just ask that right now, like in this moment and even walking out of this space, and as we come before you in worship, God, that you would be speaking to, the, to those in this room and those who are listening online, God, that you would be showing them their, their blind spots, or that you'd be showing them their, those, those decisions that they're making that perhaps aren't necessarily wrong in themselves, but that could potentially be setting themselves up for a really big fall down the road. God, I ask that you would give us the, the courage and the fortitude uh, to make the hard decisions that we need to make to honor you with all that we are. Physically, yes. Sexually, yes. But emotionally, yes. God, in every arena, just to, to totally lay ourselves down at your feet. And God, I know that there's people that are listening to this that bear a number of scars, a number of wounds perhaps that are pretty fresh from crossing some lines in this particular area. And God, I ask that in this moment that you would just wrap your arms around them. God, that you would remind them that, that they are loved. That God, that when they come to you and confess their sin to you and ask for your help, that they are forgiven. That they are washed clean. That although there might be consequences that follow them, God, that you also walk with them and are intent on continuing the work that you've begun in their lives. So Father God, we commit this time to you, this morning to you, 
and we commit our lives to you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.